0: My name is Kieran Sheehy, and I was involved with the part of the course that looks at virtual worlds, virtual and augmented worlds, and how they might be used in education. I have a long-standing interest in this area, partly inspired by my work in the field of inclusion and inclusive education, looking at how we can remove barriers that learners face and the way that technology acts upon those barriers to either remove them or increase them. A few years ago, anyone trying to set up an educational island within Second Life or any virtual world was seen as quite out of the ordinary it wasn't the usual thing and it's certainly what didn't equate with university level education however within a space of about four years I think almost every university certainly within the UK has a space in second life which they're using one of the first universities certainly in the UK or Europe to to get going was the open university Um, we fired off with Sky Park project in the team group, and at the same time um, we had islands and islands on our level, the main grid. The reason behind our interest in virtual worlds is also to see if we can look at creating a new pedagogy. Very often people say, well, the traditional classroom, which kind of is a long-standing form where we have walls and desks and tables, carries with it a particular way of thinking about how children learn. Now, with virtual worlds, we have the opportunity to look at that anew, to try out different ways of doing things. And the Scone Park Project was one way of researching that aspect. What could happen? Were there new ways in which we could teach and new ways in which we could learn? But we're always a bit wary of, were we carrying from the real world practices which weren't very effective in the real world and just transferring them into this virtual space? So were we dressing up ineffective practices and from my background, exclusive, let's say non-inclusive practices and carrying them with us into the virtual world? The sorts of people who came into Scone Park were people who had access to good computers at home, so that ruled out quite a few people. They didn't have to rely on using it at school because schools wouldn't allow them to to use Virtual Worlds. So it was home background was an issue. I think one of the interesting things about the, the people who came into the project, this project, and uh, worked together was the age range. So we had younger learners, say 12 and 13, working with 17-year-olds, people going to college and also our post-graduates and postgraduate students we had here at the Open University working together on projects. One of the things about the teen grid is it's restricted access so it's, it is for people under 18 only, for adults to be in there then for example, um, the people in the Scamp Up project, uh, you'd have to have a full CRB check and then the equivalent in America because it's hosted in America and then be vetted and then work in World. In in addition to that, we had uh, report abuse buttons, if anything went on in terms of child safety. All conversations that we had were logged and recorded and we knew who was in World all the time. So that is um, quite an interesting tension in the sense that for setting up an environment to try out new ways of learning and teaching... We ended up imposing quite a strict regime. So was in addition to CRV checked in two countries, we had sensors placed on the island so we knew who was where at any time. We recorded the interactions that went on so we knew what was said and what was done. The Scone Project um, sections of it that I was involved with produced some quite interesting findings. Firstly, the real-world barriers still exist. So things like poverty, access, schools' attitudes to the virtual worlds, um, what counts as learning and what they cut across the board so they had a a big impact on the types of children who could engage and young young people who could engage with the project and how successful they did how much access they had Um, within the actual world itself however lots of things came out one thing emerged was the role of fun in learning when we interviewed children and the young people about what they liked and here and in other virtual world programs that we've done they reported that the thing they liked was they found them very enjoyable. All the young people we talked to, all of them, have engaged in some sort of virtual life, either through Second Life, Club Penguin, World of Warcraft, or instant messaging if they weren't in the, the 3D virtual worlds, They're in some sort of online communication, and these have real importance and relevance to their lives. And we know in our own lives you know, that that's how we, we tend to use these, commu- these um, technologies to communicate, and they influence and shape the way in which we learn. Yet that contrasts quite markedly with the experience of children in their actual schools so these technologies are typically banned they're not allowed to be used and they they're seen as not part of school now when we're looking at skills for the future these sort of issues do need to be sorted out one of the things that comes out of the course as a whole is the impact of different social organisations and different ways of interacting on the way that children think and learn now we have a relatively new phenomenon of virtual worlds. They carry with them and their own social organisation, they carry with them their own culture, carry with them their own rules and implicit norms about how to behave and what to do. And children, by the million, millions upon millions, are engaging with this. Now, we need to see as educators whether these spaces and cultures are positive in the effects they have or how we can influence them and use them to create... Positive educational environments for the future. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.